because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. On today's episode, I have a congressman, Chip Roy, and I'm bringing him in to talk about energy talking points for 2020. Chip has a lot of knowledge about energy. I've known him for several years. He's savvy on these issues, and he's also very savvy on what, how candidates actually are thinking about issues and the different pressures on them that can make it very challenging to say the right thing at the right time. So I'm bringing him on to discuss this year's energy issues in the election, uh, what he thinks of energytalkingpoints.com, and crucially, how we can use this resource to help as many candidates and citizens as possible. So enjoy Chip Roy on the energy election in 2020. I'm joined now by Congressman Chip Roy. Chip, welcome to Power Hour. Alex, great to be on the show. Good to see you again. Uh, likewise, I think you and I first met about three years ago in Austin, right? No, that's right. Yeah, as you know, I was working for the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and uh, I think there was an event down there, and uh, we got to know each other, and a bunch of our mutual friends introduced us, and, and it's been great ever since. Yeah, and ever since then, I've known you as somebody who really appreciates energy issues, and that's why I wanted to bring you on today to talk about uh, my own goals in terms of furthering the message in energy and how right. I can be better at uh, achieving them. So let's start out with, off with how important is energy policy in the upcoming elections? Well, look, I think it's going to be very important. Uh, and you know, one of the things that I think we should be mindful of, this isn't a conversation about the pandemic or the virus, but one of the things that has struck me, you talk a lot about human flourishing uh, and how important that is. And we're seeing in real time the importance of human engagement, human interactivity, uh, the benefits we get from a powered world in which we're able to get around and move around and see each other. And we kind of took a step back from that this year with the virus. And I, I don't think we like what we saw. And I think that, that as we head into the fall and we head into November, we ought to be mindful of what clean, abundant energy does for, again, using your phrasing, human flourishing. And, and I think we've seen in the last 48 hours a significant uh, discussion about where, whether or not uh, Vice President Biden, who's obviously seeking the presidency, uh, will ban fracking. And we'll talk more about that later. But the, the issues are going to be hot front and center. Uh, we know the left wants to push the Green New Deal. And so uh, these issues are going to be very important for November. Yeah, so you mentioned they're going to be important. Why haven't they been a big topic of discussion so far? Is it just because civil unrest and coronavirus are just so dominant? Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, at some point, there is a bandwidth issue for all Americans, right? Had we not had the virus uh, and we were kind of in a normal campaign cycle, or at least whatever normal looks like these days, uh, we certainly would be talking about energy policy a great deal more. Uh, I do think it'll start popping back up pretty heavily because of how important it is to our daily life and our and 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 frankly the the extent to which uh, President uh, Vice President Biden seeking to be president uh, believes uh, in pushing the Green New Deal and many of its tenets and has essentially agreed to what Bernie Sanders and and AOC and some of of the others pushing that agenda wants to do. So I think it's going to be front and center. But it has been relatively quiet because we've been dealing with the virus and the pandemic, civil unrest. Um, and other, other issues. Impeachment last year, you know, sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room. 
I guess one, one question I've had about that is if, when I look at the different Democrat websites, they are, they, almost all of them mention like climate change, clean energy, you know, renewable energy, renewable energy jobs, and most Republicans uh, don't. So why do you think that is? Why is one side, at least so far, making it more of an issue than the other? Well, I think to some degree, it is a function that the left is advocating for a massive change away from that which America has been relying upon for you know, decades now, right over a century now, to lead the world. And frankly, and as you and I both know, with fracking over the last 20 years, we've seen this massive um, improvement in energy uh, positioning for the United States of America, geopolitical positioning, but also just American energy independence. And that, that positioning then has put clean burning natural gas out there in such a way that we're driving CO2 levels down. We're producing CO2 at basically 1990 levels. And all of that is stuff that, frankly, Republicans, we probably take it for granted too much, but we're trying to continue to carry that train forward. The left has an agenda to derail that train. They want to fundamentally alter the direction of where we've gone, where we believe in, in energy freedom. We believe in the ability to choose uh, the best fuel, the best energy supply uh, in a market-based environment and, and let the best prevail. Yeah, so that, that makes sense, but I, I'm really big on, if, if we look at what's happening, our energy policy in the last 15 years, arguably, especially the last four years, has been really beneficial. Uh, right. overall, and, and certainly the trajectory. And so I think it's important that that be framed as a truly progressive policy in, in the proper mm -hmm. sense of the word, and not just, oh, this is, this is nothing, and then all new ideas mean totally destroying and disrupting this system. You know, and you make a good, you make a good point, and I just highlight Texas as being a case in point, as you well know. Uh, I, for, I worked for Governor Rick Perry for three years, and we embraced a all of the above energy approach to use his language. He liked to say that. And we became the number one wind producing state. We have a significant amount of solar, uh, but we were also at the epicenter of driving uh, the fracking revolution and, and what that has meant in terms of fundamentally altering the geopolitical landscape and the, and the entire landscape of the energy producing world. And prior to February, you know, we were back and fully leading the world in energy production. And that's, I think, important. And we're doing it in a way that is driving down CO2 levels. And so you're right. Republicans need to be far better at going on offense happily uh, and, and embracing what we believe in terms of energy freedom, what it has meant for human flourishing, but what it has also meant for the environment and why our policies are good for the world. And I think we ought to go on offense and do a better job of that. Yeah, I want to push back on a couple of things, especially Governor Perry. So he and I have talked about this a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, so he, I mean, like all of the above, I mean, if you look at what wind is, so it's true, Texas has a lot of wind, but Texas is also having issues related to the wind sure. in terms of supply issues and costs going up. So the U.S. in general has had, I mean, you talk about natural gas revolution, natural gas prices go way down, coal prices go down, uranium prices go down, and yet we have more expensive electricity the only explanation is we're adding a lot of what I would call unreliable infrastructure on top of the reliable infrastructure that's driving prices up. So uh, I, I'm not so thrilled about that so, part of the situation. So let me jump in to say that what I'm advocating there isn't necessarily advocating for whether that's a good, good thing that we have 20% of our grid being wind. What I'm suggesting is, is that we've got a story to tell 
that we've been advocating for and advancing forward with multiple options for energy production. And now we've got data that we can look at because many want to just say, well, Texas only cares about, you know, pursuing just oil and natural gas to fatten their wallets and to make sure they got a big tax base for their schools and so forth. And, that, and I, I always want to push back on that. We're Texans. We love our state. We love our parks. We love our rivers and our streams and our air. We want them to be clean. We also love having abundant energy and have low price, low cost of that energy. And so we want that to be fully available. So we really push the development of oil and natural gas. Uh, for a long time, there was a lot of effort to push and advance wind. And I think what we're seeing now, and I'm glad you raised that, and you're more expert than I, but uh, are some of the negative consequences to that. And what we're seeing is you got to have strong oil, uh, natural gas, coal, other options in order to back up uh, unreliable wind and unreliable solar. We saw this in Georgetown, Texas. You know this, the case yeah. in point for a fraudulent agenda saying that you can have a fully uh, green, renewable uh, energy supply. And it, it was a complete fraud. That wasn't the case. And in fact, the taxpayers of Williamson County took it on the chin because they bought into this sort of leftist uh, uh, you know, mantra. So I agree with you completely that we ought to be looking for the uh, lowest cost, most available, clean sources of energy uh, and not buying into something just because people want to push it as an agenda. The other thing I want to push back on is just the, the issue of CO2, because so CO2 levels are definitely not going down. I mean, emissions are going down, but we're still adding CO2 to the atmosphere every year. And I think it's important with Republicans and anyone who's pro-freedom to just decide, are you in favor of, if you're in favor of lowering CO2 levels, that means you're in favor of basically the destruction of the global economy and the whole global energy system. And you're saying both the U.S., needs to stop using fossil fuels. And also you're going to try to do something about China and India and others doing that. So I think it's important. You can say that we're developing, I mean, if you care, what I would point out and what I do point out at energytalkingpoints.com is if you care about reducing emissions and, and ultimately levels, the focus needs to be on developing uh, low carbon, low cost alternatives. As long as you're just forcing people to use high cost, unreliable things, that's just going to make your energy more expensive. And it's just going to offshore all the production to foreign countries that are using the lower cost carbon energy. Well, look, you're making a really good point. And, and, and let me again, go back and say, when, when I'm talking through these things, what's important when we're talking about CO2 levels and where they stand on a relative basis, it's for those that believe that that is an important part of the agenda to sort of limit the production of CO2, then one can observe the extent to which having clean burning natural gas has been leading that effort, while certain other countries certainly are not uh, following that. And particularly those, by the way, who like to thump their chest for signing on to the Paris Agreement, right? I mean, whereas right. the United States has been far exceeding that based on a sort of more market-oriented approach by driving through and getting clean burning natural gas through fracking. But what, what I, would, I would agree with you uh, you know, I think I hear people talk all the time about CO2 and they want to treat it as a pollutant. And it, in my view, we should not view it that way. CO2 is not a pollutant. Uh, and, and, and there's a very clean distinction, or I, I use clean, you know, but there's a clear distinction between what you want to do to stop polluting the atmosphere and the water in terms of those things that are actually poisonous for us and breathing and harm our environment or harm, you know, human beings versus CO2, which is a natural a substance or, or not substance, but you know, natural um, gas. And so we shouldn't be concerned about our production of CO2 um, in that regard. 
Uh, but as people in we as scientists, and you talk about this very well, if we want to observe over time and look through the cycles uh, of, the, of the earth and look at overall warming, overall cooling, then you want to look at man's place in that and what are we doing and how much is CO2 producing on that. Now, what are the net effects of that? Positive, negative. Are we getting more greening of the planet? Is that good? Is that bad? Are we getting too much temperature rise or not? You know, it wasn't in my lifetime. We've gone through cooling to warming and back. And so, you know, and, and, and to hear from different scientists. And so I think it's really important for us to look through all of that. And I agree with you completely in, in what you were just saying before. Uh, awesome. So, and, and part of the reason I'm pushing back on this is uh, yeah. not just to push back with you, but these are hard issues. These are hard issues to explain, particularly given what different audiences have been exposed to. And it's a big motivation why I wanted to create energytalkingpoints.com, which is to give, so for example, there's an entry on reducing emissions. And it's trying to say, if you care about reducing emissions, the only way to do this is to find low cost, is to develop low cost, low carbon alternatives. There's no option of like a Green New Deal in the US that bankrupts us and then suddenly you're gonna lower global uh, emissions. So let me ask you, I think you've, you've taken a look at it. So I'm curious your thoughts on energytalkingpoints.com and I'm also gonna ask for suggestions for improvement. So I'm not just looking for praise, but I'm curious what you think of what you've seen of the resource so far. Sure. Well, look, I mean, and for those of you who haven't looked at it, it's a great place where you can go and you can look through talking points, frankly, done very well in the way we often try to do them in the political landscape and messaging in an organized fashion where Alex goes through and, and uh, articulates, I think, the overall point. And he starts with sort of read this first, uh, which is really important, right? And he makes the case for energy freedom and, and then lays that out. And that's really important about explaining why energy freedom matters. He's already been articulating it here in terms of letting the market uh, create you know, a, a, an environment in which we can go choose the best low-cost carbon energy solution that will provide clean uh, uh, you know, energy. And, and, and you know, what we're not talking enough about as, as Republicans is the importance for all of that for, I said it before, human flourishing, the importance of having hospitals powered up, the importance of being able to have power in your house, the importance of being able to drive somewhere and get to a, an appointment, the importance of being able to fly somewhere. You're seeing this right now in real time because of the virus. You completely disrupt our ability to move around. You disrupt our economy, you disrupt our way of life, you disrupt our well-being. You see people's suicide rates going up, you see healthcare going down. All of this stuff adds up. We, are, we were on the cutting edge as a country, leading forward with clean, abundant energy, and we were transforming the world. And you know, you've made that case repeatedly about how much that is making the world better. But we still have a billion people, right, Alex, give or take, who don't have available energy to power their houses and their lives. And they, that's the kind of thing that you want to think about what we're doing, elevating the entire world and what that means for, for people's well-being. But, you know, um, look, I think what, you should, what people who aren't aware of what you've produced go through and take a look at it. Because you start with the whole idea of energy freedom and then go through sort of point by point making the case for how we can argue better uh, why, as you say, the moral case for fossil fuels and what it does to make lives better. Uh, well, thank you. So what, what do you think can be done to make it more useful? Because I know you're, you're, you're living this day to day in terms of these issues are coming up for you and for others. So what do you think would make it a more useful resource for candidates in particular? Well, look, I think part of that gets into uh, packaging it. I think, you know, I, I mentioned to you one time before recently, we we're talking about this, the importance of, you know, look, 
politicians and the people we get put on the spot, you go out and you're, you're, you're forced to answer a question, right? Straight mm -hmm. up. Are fossil fuels good or bad? You know, what do we do to, you know, deal with global warming? Don't you know, Chip, 99% of scientists all agree that CO2 is killing the planet, right? You get these assertions thrown at you. Meanwhile, you've got a hundred issues you're dealing with on any given day. They can range from social issues to economic issues. We've got the virus right now. We're trying to figure out what to do about how to handle the numbers and, you know, where are we on, on the curves and should you wear masks or not wear masks? Oh, by the way, now we need to talk about what's going on in the border. And then, oh my gosh, Israel, what's going on with the embassy in Jerusalem? And, you know, there's every single day we get a flood of hundreds of issues. And then you talk to constituents and their businesses are closing, et cetera, et cetera. So we need something to be able to go straight to the chase, right? Here are your three to five kind of main points. And I think this is important, by the way, for our kids, our educators, for all of those folks out there to be able to have that information to push back because it's a daily assault. If you're sitting in a school somewhere, particularly university, but even in a K through 12, and people say, they make some assertion, right? Fossil fuel is evil. We need to get rid of it. We need to have all of this wonderful, awesome, clean, renewable energy. And uh, I don't know why all those evil capitalists just wanna make all that you know, dirty money and, and kill our planet. And we know it's killing our planet because 99% of scientists say so. And you need to be able to then give a politician, a person in media, a student, uh, a person at their home, sitting at their own you know, coffee table, uh, to be able to make the case for say, hold on a second. Let's look at the actual facts. Let's look at what fossil fuels has meant for your well-being, your life. Let's look at what uh, a market-based solution has done in producing uh, abundant natural gas. We're now firing our energy with that is actually holding CO2 levels down relative to what they might have been otherwise, uh, if that's something that you think is important. And then walk them through some of the analysis of whether you think CO2 levels is important or not. You know, you're really good at outlining those questions, giving a way to think about it. So I think the more that you can distill that into, into bite-sized chunks, then you've got the backup papers to give you more information. I think that helps. Great. So let's just think of a, so let's just take the top three. So let's just take the top one. Like what's a question that candidates are going to get that they have trouble with? I mean, I think one of the number one assertions you're going to get on the campaign trail otherwise is CO2 production is causing global warming. 99% of, or, or climate change, and 99% of scientists agree. And so why do you hate science? Why do you want to continue to advance, you know, something that's killing our planet and is going to cause it to overheat, warm up, and we're going to have deserts and it's going to be terrible, right? That's going to be the assertion you're going to get on the campaign trail from certain quarters and frankly, the media a lot. Right. Okay. So that, yeah, that would be kind of a complex assertion, but if, if you think sure. about just some of the things that are in energy talking points, and I think we'll create one that's just in response to these kinds of things. But I mean, one is just the difference between like, you can say, I believe climate change is real, but climate crisis is not. And part of that is we're actually at a record low for the climate death rate. And that's an empirically, uh, you know, that's an empirical fact. And so we've had some warming, but we haven't had catastrophic warming. So there's that, uh, that kind of point. And then there, I think it's important to say, if you're concerned about emissions, the only way to solve that is innovation that makes lower carbon energy cheap. It does nothing for the US to make our lives extremely expensive and ultimately poor, uh, while China is building record numbers of, of coal plants. And that's why we- But the left, the left would push Decriminalizing nuclear. Yeah, go ahead. The left, would push, the left would push back on that and say, you just asserted that we uh, can only do it if we get lower 
uh, emissions or get carbon to be cheaper, and, but you focused on carbon and you're basically dismissing wind and solar. And those are obviously the future. Everything wind and solar, plug your car and life is good. Right, and so that's, that's another um, dimension. And so the point is, well, given the current technology, wind and solar drive up prices every single place uh, that they're used because they need 100% reliable backup. So they're always adding costs to the grid, not taking costs uh, off the grid. And there's more you can say about that, but I agree, that's gonna be another one. Like, can't it be easily um, replaced? And that's why there's, we have a bunch of them on the Biden plan. And uh, we're going to have some unreliable electricity. And I think the California example is going to be a valuable one mm-hmm. in terms of that's the mini, mini Green New Deal. Right. And already they, they tried to over, I mean, they, we tried to over rely on, so, on solar and wind. And then there's a heat wave and there's not much wind and it gets to be the afternoon and the evening and there's no sun. And then our neighbors are hot too. So they're not giving us electricity. What, so those are good. So I, I can make stuff out of all these. What, what other things do you think candidates are going to get? Well, I think that's, so we, we just hit on the, I, I think deeper dive, you um, didn't get into this particular point, which is the scientific aspect of 99% of scientists agree. You alluded to it. You said, well, there is in fact climate change, but then you put- Oh, climate, I see. I see. So those, those surveys, right. So those surveys uh, are surveys that demonstrate scientists believe in some warming, not catastrophic warming. And then I would make the point, the reason why they don't all believe in that is because the the evidence we have is that because of human adaptability, the climate death rate is actually at an all time uh, low. So I agree there's something, the 97% thing is a good thing. And I don't think we have anything, I have a lot on that, but I don't have anything about that on the website. So yeah. Well, and then, and I think, and I can't remember if you've got a sheet directed to this point, but on the, adaptability, right? The human adaption or adaptation. You'd say, well, the, the pushback would be from the left would say, okay, so what you're saying is we're a lot, because we you know, want to continue to produce lots of CO2 and that's causing uh, climate change. And so maybe it's getting warmer and causing all these issues. Yeah, you can adapt because you can live in air conditioning and you can have better, you know, you can deal with uh, storms better or whatever. And so we have much fewer deaths than we did, say, 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 500 years ago. Uh, but still, at some point, you know, you're going to adapt your way out of turning our planet into, you know, Venus or, you know, uh, a desert, right? Because they're going to say, you know, we're getting to those catastrophic levels. That's where we're headed. And no amount of adaptation is going to solve that problem. That would be an argument. Okay. Yeah. And so there's some of this on the on the climate crisis. Thing. I mean, one thing is just the greenhouse effect slows down over time. So, And there's an interesting question of how technical to get about it. Part of it is that the warming is not, it doesn't warm the earth equally. It warms the colder parts more. But the other thing is we're talking about one degree Celsius in 170 years, which is not even detectable to human beings if we did not uh, already know about it. And Part of it is just that, yeah, you have to decide on, on trade-offs. Are you going to make us poor and the entire world poor in the name of preventing a relatively small amount of warming? I mean, people can make that decision, but then they're not valuing human life. They're just valuing an imaginary, unchanging climate. Well, and I do think your point about comparing climate change and what, we're impact, what the impact is or isn't uh, to climate hysteria is a really important point. Because that's what we're dealing with, right? We're dealing with policymaking by hysteria, by crisis. And when you do that, right, it's done for a reason to sort of advance an agenda. And that agenda ultimately undermines our ability to 
have the, the, the way of life that we've been able to build up and to use your point, adapt and adapt to be able to way where you can, you can live in a, in a inhospitable climate, right? You joked around and you had to change to we when you're talking about California, not they, but we, because, you know, we're all having free will and life's all about choices. You live in California. Uh, I live in Texas. I live in the whole country. My great, great grandfather came here and was a Texas Ranger a hundred years ago. I'll tell you what, he didn't go down to the Walmart and get a box fan. He didn't have an air conditioning unit in his cabin. You know, he just had to deal with the heat and the water. And a drought meant something. Today, we use technology, power, to be able to navigate all of that. So now we have 30 million people living in Texas. I promise you 30 million people wouldn't want to live in Texas 50 years ago or 100 years ago for the very reasons you're articulating. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's. Uh, but yeah. So these are uh, great things to raise, and this will help me a lot. Any other anything else you think we should make sure to have responses to? Well, I think you know, and those are those are some of the big ones. I mean, I think uh, getting people to understand that um, how beneficial, honestly, fracking has been, because there's obviously a lot of misinformation out there about fracking. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, whether you're talking about some some of the, you know destabilization issues and things that people get into and try to say that it dirties the water and so forth. And I think the evidence of that is, is scant uh, in terms of what it's been able to produce. I think that's an important part of this conversation is that fracking is, is a technology that is working and that is good and it's giving us energy independence and producing a lot of great natural uh, gas that's clean burning. I think a little more in that zip code is probably helpful. Got it. Uh, okay, those are all good assignments. So let me ask you, you would know more about this than anyone. How can I bring this to the attention of more uh, candidates? Well, first of all, you do what you're doing and talking to me and you're reminding me, and I've been talking to a few candidates myself about going to and using your resources, uh, talking to a few of the organizations and entities out there that advance and move uh, candidates. But of course, we don't want this to be just a partisan thing. I mean, the idea that that this is predominantly Republican or conservative versus versus the left, I think we shouldn't accept. I mean, sometimes we want to go to the belly of the beast. And so I'd encourage you to be continuing to reach out, particularly to, you know, freshman members of Congress when they first come in. That's the moment when you try to get in there and give them a different framework before they get kind of sucked into the vortex of, well, you know, you've got to defer to the committees of uh, jurisdiction and their expertise. And they're going to tell you what to think because he's been the chair of the, or she's been the chair of the, you know, uh, you know, Energy and Commerce Committee for 20 years. So listen to him or her. I, I, I don't accept that premise. If anybody knows me on Capitol Hill, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to talk about whatever issues are important. And you got to get people feeling comfortable as leaders that they can do that. And so I just encourage you to be, you know, particularly these freshman members when they come in, maybe they're a first termer right now, you know, running for reelection like myself, you know, get in front of them and go in front of the different organizations that, that uh, you know, help feed them some information uh, that, that, that's obviously very helpful. Awesome. Uh, any, and as we wrap up, any final thoughts for our listeners slash viewers? I, I still think that the fundamental, um, brilliance of your efforts and like taking the, the talking points and connecting them back to human flourishing and, and the, the importance of, um, advancement for, uh, humankind, mankind. It's, it's, that's the, that's the center of all of this, right? Uh, it's knowing that you're trying to make your make life better for your kids and your grandkids. It's trying to advance um, the human condition. And we've done that in America better than any other country in the history of the world. Uh, and we've done so in large part because of our advancement of available energy. And I, I, I would dare anybody to uh, demonstrate 
how over the last roughly 100 odd years, the massive availability of abundant power as a result of fossil fuel. And we haven't talked about nuclear power here too. And I, you and I both agree, nuclear power should be a part of this mix. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll laugh. I had a hearing on the oversight committee on which I serve and we had John Kerry testifying. And you know, I ask every person that I'm talking about this issue, I ask them, would you support nuclear power? If you're concerned about CO2 production, will you at least tell us right now, will you support nuclear power, which clearly doesn't produce uh, CO2? And almost all the time they say no. Credit to the fairly left-leaning John Kerry, he said, you know, nuclear has to be a part of the mix. Because if you're being remotely consistent about your concerns or your beliefs about CO2, then you can't say that nuclear power should be out of the mix. So the availability of clean, abundant energy and, and what that has meant for America, uh, and, and fossil fuels has driven actually the vast majority of that, nuclear power somewhat, has truly transformed the world for better. So we start there, and what you're doing starts there. And that's what we need to start with as a, uh, as a civilization society, and then we politicians who are trying to make policy. Gotcha. Oh, one final question occurred to me. Can you think of any other candidates that, that are energy savvy that I should have on the show? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's a decent number of them. You know, I'm obviously going to start with a bias for Texans. I think Dan Crenshaw from Houston likes to focus on these issues a lot, and he's a good friend. And uh, I think you should talk to him somewhat about these issues. Um, you know, I'd encourage you to reach across the aisle and talk to um, uh, uh, Dean Phillips, who's a good friend of mine from Minnesota. He and I introduced legislation together this summer. Very solid, reasonable, small business, pro-economy kind of guy. Uh, you know, I think there's some on the, again, in the freshman and sophomore classes that we should, you know, reach out to. Kelly Armstrong uh, is a great congressman, and, uh, and he's uh, a great guy, knows energy issues very well, has worked in the uh, natural gas space. And uh, he knows, particularly he knows, because he's from up there, he, he knows the, you know, Dakotas, Montana, that area very well and what energy is meant for there. So um, Kelly Armstrong would be another great one. Uh, awesome. And where can listeners learn more about you? Obviously you have a campaign going, so where, where should they go to learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. Chipperoy.com. Uh, we've got a nice little race going on down here in central Texas, but uh, you know, look, we're, we're going to be out there working hard for the next two months. And when I get reelected, we're going to be we're going to be really trying to advance a strong agenda in the next Congress and uh, energy freedom is a, is a very much a clear part of that. And that, that fits my agenda, healthcare freedom, energy freedom, uh, making sure that people are able to go make good decisions for them and their families. So look, Alex, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, get this information out there. It's great stuff if you're out there listening. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chip. Thank you, Alex. Thanks again to Chip Roy for joining me. Uh, I enjoyed the whole thing, but particularly I enjoyed how he explained the perspective of Congress people and what they're dealing with on a daily basis, and then his examples of the types of things that he will be confronted with and others will be confronted with, and that will enable me to make energytalkingpoints.com that much better. You probably notice on this show, energytalkingpoints.com has been a big theme lately, and that's because we've got an election in two months. Most candidates are still ill-equipped to talk about these things, even if they tend toward the right position. Most citizens are still unaware, so I would ask, just please spread this around. It's such an easy website to spread around. It's improving every week. We're expanding it regularly, so energytalkingpoints.com. I was just communicating with the head of one of the biggest pro-freedom groups in the country. And he said he really liked 
the points and they're going to incorporate them in their messaging. This is the kind of thing that's possible if we just spread it around. And I think as right now, Chip mentioned energy issues are going there. I think they're poised to become much bigger. There's been the civil unrest issues, the coronavirus issues, but certainly in the presidential debates, energy, environment, climate are going to be central. And that means everybody's going to be discussing them. And so this is the time to spread the right ideas. I think we have the right ideas. I've, I've worked hard to develop them. I'm going to keep working hard to improve them and expand them. But right now we've got this go-to resource, energytalkingpoints.com. So let's make the most of it. All right. That is it for this week. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, email me at alex at alexepstein.com. Let's see. I don't mention this often, but I'm on different kinds of social media, so make sure to follow me there, particularly on Twitter, at Alex Epstein. Another thing I don't mention too much, uh, but I'm still doing a lot of speaking. It's mostly virtual speaking, although I did do my first live in-person event in a while last week. It was in Colorado, and they had this very nice open-air location that had probably 150-plus people. So if you're interested in virtual speeches or... Um, or in-person speeches, just email me at alex at alexepstein.com and mention speaking. I'm considerably discounted, at least for the next month or two, while we're still having some of the economic issues, the lockdown issues. So my, you know, my in-person price is less than half my normal in-person price, and my virtual price is a quarter or less than a quarter of my normal in-person price. So if you want some good energy insight and maybe it's my normal prices are hard to afford, this is perfect timing. Uh, also, energytalkingpoints.com, keep promoting that. And if you'd like to support our work at the Center for Industrial Progress, including the work that goes into energytalkingpoints.com, you can become an accelerator or you, you can become even more of an accelerator at industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. Finally, make sure you're on our newsletter, which you can uh, sign up for at industrialprogress.com. All right, next week, I'll be back. I may have some more political guests. I have some others in mind, but I can almost promise you it'll be some really valuable guest. So hope you enjoyed this week and look forward to next week. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour, the antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.